And if you're new in the building or online, um, thanks for hanging out with us today. Um, my name's Alan. <laughs> um, I'm so stoked to be sharing the Word of God with you today. Uh, if we've never met before, uh, here's just some key points about me. Um, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a husband to my beautiful wife, Sarah. Um, I'm a really big fantasy and sci-fi fan, so all the things going on with Lord of the Rings right now, I'm in for. Um, yo, I love superheroes. I'm a musician. I'm a graphic designer. But mostly, I'm just an imperfect person. But we all are, right? No one who walks into this building is perfect. We've all got stuff. Um, Romans 3.23 says, all fall short of the glory of God. And all means all of Cleves, all of Cincinnati, all of the world. We're all imperfect. So if you're new here or new to this whole church thing, I just want to let you know that you're welcome here with whatever stuff that you got, okay? And that's what this whole teaching series is about. I wish I could tell you that this series is about homecoming football games and I'd show you my embarrassing freshman homecoming picture, but I won't do that. I won't do that. Um, and so, what are you guys laughing at? What are you guys laughing at? Oh, my God. Um, she, you know what's really funny? Uh, she ignored me the whole night. So, uh, but, she's, she's, but she's really nice. She's really nice. All right, so instead, okay, this series is based on a parable that Jesus tells us about two imperfect sons and one perfect father. The sons represent us, and the father represents God. Now, if you've never heard of this story before, it's called The Prodigal Son, and we're going to read a lot of it today, but I'm going to spoil it for you. At the end, yeah, they party. They party like they're expecting the Bengals to go to the Super Bowl. That's how hard they party. Yeah. And they don't just, like, party. They party. You know what I mean? Somebody say party. Woo! But since the father celebrated in Jesus' story, we're going to celebrate throughout this whole series. Specifically, on September 25th, we're having one shortened worship service at 10 a.m. So afterwards, we can go celebrate all the awesome things God is and will be doing around here at Whitewater. Uh, this party will happen in our own backyard here on campus. I'm talking, you know, food trucks, music, games, some prizes. So please mark it down on your calendars. And we want this to be a whole family thing. So there will be no childcare. Everyone's going to be right in here. And then we're going to go out there September 25th at 10 a.m. One service. But we're going to celebrate today too. Traditionally, we would call today Baptism Sunday. But here we're calling it Homecoming Sunday. If you've been feeling or hearing a calling from Jesus lately, then just know that today is your homecoming story. And we're going to give you an opportunity to answer that call through the act of baptism. When you get to openly declare that you follow Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. But look, committing your life to someone, yo, that's a serious deal. When you get baptized, you're signing up for a relationship for life. It's like marriage. So it might seem weird, but I'm not up here to convince you to get baptized. Jesus and the Holy Spirit will do that, no problem. All I want to do today is remove as many barriers as possible that may be keeping you from coming home to the Father. Along the way, I'm going to tell you a few homecoming stories about some lost people and how God welcomed, back, uh, welcomed them back with a party when they found their way back home. And if you happen to feel a tug on your heart while I'm talking, just know that that's Jesus calling. And we're going to celebrate with you in the water after I'm done. Sound good? Cool. 
Um, you know what? Let, let's just like take a huge deep breath right now. Okay, ready? <sighs> let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Uh, Father God, use me to l- deliver your word. Um, Father, we ask for your confidence. We ask for your grace and your peace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all want to read some Bible? All right, cool. So let's get your Bibles out. If you don't have a Bible, please let us know. We'll give you one today. Uh, we're going to turn the word of God over to Luke chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll have it up on the screen there for you. If you're there, say, I'm ready. If not, say, hold up. Okay, I don't hear any of that. So Luke 15, 1 through 2 first. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Ew. Um, If we go down to 11... It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and and the man sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, yo, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. So when I first read this parable, immediately I thought about this character. You all remember her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when the younger brother said, I want my share of your estate now, that's what I thought. I thought, man, this kid is just like Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Both were spoiled and bratty and disrespected their dad. See, in biblical times, asking for your inheritance before your father dies is a sign of mad disrespect. And I don't know about you, but I've definitely been salty with my parents, and I got slapped in the butt with a slipper for it. But here's what I wonder. Why would the father take that disrespect and allow the younger son to talk to him into giving him what he wants? What I realize is that throughout the entire story of the Bible, from Genesis all the way through the New Testament, God has been inviting people into relationship with him. He doesn't want robots roaming the earth who just do his bidding. He gave us the amazing gift of free will. He gives us the opportunity to choose him, to choose to be in relationship with him, to choose what he says is best for us instead of what we think is best for ourselves. He gives us the opportunity to choose to come home to him. The younger son chose to leave, 
And in just a few days, he packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. How many know that sometimes distance isn't just about miles, it's about influence? At this point, the younger son disrespected his dad and then chose distance from reliable resources, a stable place to rest, and people who will love him through the bouncy castles of life. In Luke 15, 13, it says, And there he wasted all his money in wild living. What is this, what is this wild living they're talking about? Well, let's do some research, because uh, I did. In Greek, the word they used was osotos. The definition goes like this, prodigally, wildly, in dissipation, in debauchery. Now, what in the medieval times is debauchery? Well, here's the definition of that. It's seduction from duty, allegiance, or virtue. In Jesus' parable, if we skip all the way to verse 30, the older brother actually describes what kind of wild living the younger brother got himself into. He said, yet when this son of yours comes back squandering your money on prostitutes, yo, that's tough. Not only did he waste a full one-third of his dad's savings, but he did it for just small moments of physical pleasure. And he contributed to the degradation of women as sex objects. It's messed up. But just so you know, wild living, regardless of what you did seven years ago or who or what you did last night, will never keep you away from the welcoming moms of your heavenly father. If you need to come home because you almost jumped off a bridge, he will tuck you into his arms so tight you'll want to live just to feel that again. Isaiah 41.10 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Wild living doesn't disqualify you from coming home to the Father. It strengthens your testimony for him. The people I know who have lived wildly are now wild for Jesus. Can I get some people to raise your hands if you have a homecoming story? Yeah, give yourselves a round of applause where Jesus saved you from wild living. Fam, wild living, it's addicting. And so the younger son's money ran out. And then it says, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. In his pursuit to feel good, his money ran out and his emergency fund was gone. So when an emergency did happen, like this famine, where his resources in the land are depleted and the people have to rely on what they've saved up for, the younger son had nothing to fall back on. So you gotta ask yourself this question, what do you have to fall back on when you have no support system, no money, and no hope? Because famines in your life will happen just like that, with no warning. Why? Because that's life, baby. The reality of life is that bad things will happen that aren't in our control, and we can get in really dark places if we don't have a firm foundation of some kind of hope. But man, we're lucky. Because in Romans 15, 13, it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you've lost hope in people you thought you could trust, in the community you thought you had your back, even in the church that you were once a part of, I'm thankful that we have a source that we can receive hope from that won't just make us feel good, but, make, but fill us with lasting joy and a peace we don't understand. God's hope is like a waterfall that will never run dry. So wherever God is, hope is. So whenever that famine does come, you know where to go. If you want this kind of hope in your life, you come home. Someone say, come home. But the younger son didn't hear you and he still didn't get this. 
It says uh, in 15 and 16, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. When you're looking to just survive, you get desperate. And I know there are lots of people in this room and online that at one point in their life were desperate for something. And in their desperation did things that were out of character. Yeah, I'll stay in that abusive relationship because at least they still want me. I'll keep hanging out with those toxic people because at least they still welcome me. Yeah, I'll sell myself for money because at least with them I have value. Does that sound familiar? But here's what I want you to know. Sometimes we won't ever reach our highest truth until we reach our lowest point. In Jesus' parable, it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. In a different translation, it says, when he came to himself, meaning when he finally took on the mindset of someone's son who's taken care of and provided for, that's when his eyes were opened. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, see how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. When you finally realize that you're worth more than the life you're living because you are a son and you're a daughter of the creator of the whole universe, you have a new perspective on your value. You don't need to be enslaved to your old life anymore because Jesus paid for you to come back home to a good, almighty, powerful, warm, kind, and generous dad. When you plunge into that water and you say sorry for the things that you've done, you come back up fresh, you come back up new. The younger son came to his senses. Have you? I know people have been putting um, off coming home because of certain fears and weird dilemmas of religion. And I get it, because I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school until college and had a ton of questions about coming home and baptism. But as your brother in Christ, I'm not gonna let those stop you from being in the loving arms of your heavenly father. So let's make sense of some of these things together, okay? There's four. Number one, why do I need to get baptized? Doesn't God know my heart already? Well, let's put it like this. If your parents never told anyone about you, and denied you existed, would you feel loved? If you consider someone your best friend, but they only ever hang out with you at your house and they ignore you in school, is that real friendship? If Sarah and I got married and never told anybody, how would that make her feel? How would that make me look? When you tell other people you love someone publicly, it shows that you love them in every situation, every circumstance, in every scene of your life, you're not ashamed to love that person. Baptism is an open declaration for you to say publicly, I love my heavenly dad, and I know that he loves me too. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 10, 32, 33. He says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my father in heaven. It's not enough for you to just believe in Jesus in your head. It has to drop into your heart. There's always corresponding action to love. Inner work manifests in an outward expression. Getting baptized and coming home is you saying, the grace and love that God gave me is too good to keep to myself. So right now, right now, if you feel the need to acknowledge God as your Lord publicly, just think of that water as your microphone. Number two, I was baptized as a baby. Do I need to do it again? 
So like I said, I was about five months old when I was baptized in a Catholic church in Chicago. I was a very round baby. And my mom had me all dressed up in white, so frankly, it looked like the priest was pouring water on a volleyball at my baptism. <laughs> Look, I, I understand the purpose. And I thank God that my family cared enough about me to set up a baptism. But out of all the great theological debates about babies being baptized, there's one thing that we can be sure about. It's that it's never the baby's decision to follow Jesus. It's just not. I mean, you didn't know what you were getting yourself into. Your family, my mom, all had great intentions, but it was their decision, not mine and not yours. We never read anything in scripture about infants being immersed. And just because a baby is baptized doesn't mean they're gonna grow up loving Jesus. Part of my testimony is that I left the Catholic faith when I was 18, not because my family didn't attend uh, church regularly, not because I hated going to Catholic school, but because I didn't know God. Not really. I knew how to pray the Hail Mary. I knew the act of contrition. I knew the right words to say in confession, but I didn't know how to talk to God. There are people who can know about Jesus, the Bible character, and not Jesus, the risen Savior. There are all sorts of Christians in the world who think that Christ died in a story and don't know that he's alive in you right now. In Proverbs 4-7, it says, In all you're getting, get understanding. If you fully grasp and understand what baptism means in your heart, it's now your turn as a person who can make logical decisions for themselves to ask, hey, Jesus is asking me to come home right now. What am I going to do about it? Number three, I made the decision to get baptized before, and I did, but now I feel like I should do it again. Well, look, if you're getting a gut punch from the Holy Spirit and are feeling the need to rededicate your life to Jesus, I say go for it. But biblically, there's no record of anyone getting baptized again and again until the Christianist just sticks. <laughs> you know? But like if you can wait seven more days, our service next week is specifically for you. Because if you finally understand the true commitment and responsibility of being a Jesus follower and you want to come back home to dad, then we're going to give you a tangible way to recommit next week on the 18th. Because rebuilding a relationship with God is not only vital, it's worth celebrating. Last one, number four. I need my life together first before I get baptized. I've heard this one plenty of times. We say this here often, but you don't get cleaned up to take a bath. You take a bath to get cleaned up. Water is used to cleanse, revitalize, refresh. Drug addictions, marital problems, childhood trauma, your depression, your pride, financial worries, anxiety, your loneliness, family drama, pornography, sexual immorality. These are things that you take in the water with you. Consider this as your first step in your relationship with Jesus, learning how to take all these battles and offering it to God. Romans 6, 4 says it like this, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Somebody say new lives. Yeah. When you get out of the water after committing yourself fully to Jesus, you leave your old life without him behind, and now you get to live a new life with him. There's a, there's a new social media app right now called Be Real. Has anyone heard of that? Y'all heard of Be Real? 
It's like, it, oh, she said, yeah, because she's got teenagers. I get it. So, so here's, here's the thing. My challenge to you is to be real with God. Man, tell him your story. Tell him your pains. Tell him your mistakes. Tell him you're sorry. Ask for forgiveness. If you do that, God will be real right back to you. He'll say, thank you for your authenticity, son and daughter. Now, be saved, be delivered, be sanctified, be purified, be healed. That's the kind of dad you get with God. That's the kind of home you get to live in. The younger son, he describes his dad like this. Even the hired servants have enough food to spare. If, if you've never been in church before or never really heard about this version of God before, I want you to know that God is the best dad you could ever have. Now, not every dad in the world is perfect. Some people in this room might even say you've had an awful dad. Or you're like me and you never knew your father. But God is different. He's separate. He's holy. Yo, think about the best dads you've ever seen on TV. I'm talking Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince. <laughs> Phil Dumphy from Modern Family. Mufasa from The Lion King. And Superman. He's a dad. God is all these dads combined, but a bajillion times better. He gives us the freedom to explore the world. And if we ask, he provides emotional, mental, and physical need. And, and, and he wants us to come home so badly that he gave up his only son to die on a cross for us. Jesus describes God like this in Matthew 26, 6. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you? Aren't you, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? God is a divine provider, which means his resources will never run out. And if he uses those same resources to take care of birds, he will absolutely take care of you. Fam, when I was, um, when I was 25, uh, which is a decade ago, and I know some of you are like, what? You don't look like that. And I'm like, whatever. Um, <laughs> I found myself married to a girl from Ohio. So I sold all my guitars and my gear and we made the move from Chicago to Hartville. Um, it's way up north, it's a small town, farm town. I thought I finally found what I was looking for. You know, that peace, that tranquility, that pleasure of knowing that my life is gonna be good from now on. But how many know that seasons in your life always repeat if you never actually heal from old wounds? I rushed into this relationship because I thought this girl would give me the feeling of value and trust that I needed to heal from something my therapist called fear of abandonment, which is something I've been dealing with since I was five. Marrying her was my solution to this trauma. And because of that, I ignored all those times that she cussed me out in front of friends, family, and coworkers, told me I wasn't a man, and made me feel like a dog instead of a husband. Two years into our marriage, we found out that she, um, she had something called endometriosis and I had testicular cancer. A bunch of tests and surgeries later, I was told I couldn't produce kids naturally. So to top it all off, the unthinkable happened. She got into a car wreck and um, where she suffered brain bleeding, a collapsed lung, and she was unable to walk. I became the provider and caretaker of someone who continued to make me feel small. 
we kept our marriage going for three more years. Uh, a lot of, you know, like self-defense, no accountability, um, no respect. And uh, we were just, we were a mess. I was in a cover band at the time, and we were scheduled to do a wedding in northern Wisconsin, a distant land. I couldn't wait to be away from my house, away from her even for a night. This outdoor wedding uh, was rained out. It was miserable. And my band all left the gig in separate cars. I decided to stay at the hotel. I was lonely. I was depressed. I wanted to die. Uh, but instead, I thought maybe I could feel good for once. So I paid for sex that night. I cheated on my wife. I squandered my money on wild living. My marriage ended, and the divorce left me with barely a dollar in my pocket. The younger son had a revelation. Um, he said, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. At the end of the day, when we reach our breaking point, when we're so exhausted we're trying to make ends meet, when we're so tired of pleasing other people, when we're so tired of ourselves, what do we have to lose? Our pride? I thought I could do life without God and he allowed me to experience what it's like really without him. Is he doing the same for you? It's time to ask the question, should I go home? Man, did you notice that the younger son never said he needed to go home to his house, to his estate? He said, I will go home to my father. When we say welcome home here, we're saying welcome to the place where you actually belong, which is in God, our father. After, so after my divorce, I met John and his wife, Kelly, and I met my, my now wife, Sarah, I was asked to be a part of their church worship team, even though I hadn't committed my life to Jesus yet. But I didn't know that it was God's way of running to me and embracing me. This gets me every time. Because in verse 20, it says that while the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. If we go down a bit further in verse 23, the father yells to everyone around, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. I mean, I remember putting my guitar down in the middle of worship and making my way over to get baptized. I searched the world and nothing filled me. I tried to find my home in everything and anything, but nothing filled me until I came home to my father. I am the younger son. You are the younger son. You are the younger daughter. Through all the mess that I've made, with all the pain that I deal with, with every person that I've hurt and I used, God still had love for me. He had compassion for me. And right now, if you're aching for God's embrace, I'm asking you to dig deep into your soul and ask for his forgiveness. Because getting baptized today, it won't get rid of your pain. It won't get rid of your anger. It won't get rid of your depression, but it'll start your relationship with your heavenly father who can. If you decide to get in the water with whatever stuff that you got, letting go, letting go of it to Jesus is hard. 
And it takes humility. It takes trust. But today could be your homecoming story. And it's worth it. If you're ready to trust God with your past, your imperfections, and your sins, I'm going to meet you in the water. We're going to have some people come on up. And if you're ready to go in, take, ready to go plunge in in a relationship with God, we'll ask you to follow these steps right over here. And I'm just going to pray right now. I'm going to pray that, Father, that you bring whoever needs to come up, whoever needs to dive in, whoever needs to dive deep, who's, who's, who's got something in their heart that they want to tell you, who wants to bring their stuff to you, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, move. Move in this place, Holy Spirit. If you are looking for a place to call home, God is it. God is where home is. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you so much. Father God, we are so ready to be committed to you. And we're ready for the party that you've had set up for us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.